You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Hello, hello, welcome back. I'm Kenny Ortiz. This is Theology for the Rest of Us coming at you from beautiful Central Florida. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. So glad to have you. This is episode 242. And in this episode, I'm going to be talking about the idea of the one, you know, the concept that there's just one specific person just for you to marry and no one else. There's a soulmate out there for you, and you got to find that one person. Um, I've been asked this question. Oh, I don't know how many times it feels like hundreds. It might not be quite that much, but definitely feels that uh, that much. Um, and the reason is because I've spent the bulk of my adult life in youth and young adult ministry in one way or another. And uh, when you are in the world of youth ministry or young adult ministry, whether you want to be or not, you are in the dating ministry as well. Uh, when you're ministering to young people, you are also giving them dating advice because they're going to be asking for it quite a bit. Uh, so again, even if you don't want to be giving dating advice or even if you don't want to be fielding those questions, uh, you will be fielding those questions if you're working in that form of ministry. And as I've, as I've worked in that form of ministry, I no doubt have, have fielded this question many times or similar questions. And so I've gotten two different emails, one from a girl named Sarah uh, who asked, how do I know who is the one? And then I got an email from a young lady by the name of Allie. Uh, she asked this question. She said, um, she said, do you think God puts a specific person into our lives to become our spouse or is choosing a mate mostly a decision we make? Uh, and so I kind of want to just, you know, I'll answer both of the questions from both Sarah and Allie. Uh, in this episode. Uh, side note before I dive in, just to Sarah and Allie, they both sent me uh, you know, relatively longer emails with some encouragement and some really good thoughts. I really appreciate it to both Sarah and Allie. Thank you so much, especially Allie. Uh, she made a comment about the idea of finding the podcast and she felt like you know, there have been a lot of questions to theological or a lot of answers to theological questions that she's known about but didn't quite know how to articulate it and or didn't really know the why behind the what and she said the podcast has really been helpful to her so Allie, so glad you're a listener glad that the podcast has been helpful to you thank you for your kind words and your your encouragement all right let's dive into answering the question uh the one or you know is there only one person you can marry or is it more of a decision you make or how do you know who is the one um i want to make it very clear there is no such thing as the one. And I'm really glad that this idea is even beginning to die out. Back in the 90s, I think it was more popular, the idea of the one when I was in youth group, when I was in high school. I feel like there has been a shift within Christian circles, uh, a shift within the the kind of advice that's given to a lot of young people um, over the last, you know, over the last 15 to 18 years or so. I feel like there's been a shift. And and I feel like most people would now agree with me saying there is no such thing as the one. Now, obviously, there's people who are going to disagree with me, but um, I, I think that's pretty, I think it's clear there's no such thing as the one. The reason I say that is because there's nothing in the scripture that points to that. That would be the first thing I would say. Um, I mean, I've read the entire Bible multiple times in my life, and there is literally not one verse that I have ever come across that would lead me to believe this idea of the one. There's nothing in the scripture that points to that. Um, and so I just, I don't understand how you could, I don't know how a Christian could make this statement 
and and you know and make it in a way that is intellectually honest if you're taking the scripture into account now if you're not a believer or maybe if you value things like disney movies above the bible or romantic chick flicks or you put a lot of stock in you know nicholas sparks novels um you know if if those are your source material for how you make determinations and how you develop your opinions then yes i would say you're probably going to end up believing the philosophy of the one uh but the reality is if you're looking at the scripture and if you're just being logical uh you're just kind of examining life that doesn't really work out in life either right so when you're examining both you know our our generic human experience as well as the logic that we kind of understand and when you look through the scriptures nothing points you in that direction that's not the assessment or the conclusion we ought to come to um a couple other caveats that i think is important to think about um i mean before the 20th century people didn't really have a lot of options like like, think about this imagine you are the average american living let's say in the you know, middle of the 1800s, somewhere in the U.S. You probably lived in a rural community or a small town uh, because, you know, our country is mostly an agrarian society. Um, you know, you probably worked on the farm. If your parents owned a shop in your small town, then, then you worked in the shop. But you didn't have a lot of options. There weren't people going around saying, what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, what do you mean when you, what I'm going to do when I grow up? I'm going to work on the family farm. I'm going to work in the family shop, right? I mean, it was very rare for people to break out of that. The, the idea of having a bunch of options that you could choose from was not something that really existed in American culture really up until recently. And it certainly hasn't existed in most other cultures throughout world history. In fact, that ideology, that 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 thought process doesn't exist in most countries around the world today. Um, so, so no doubt that it doesn't exist when it comes to relationships and picking your mate um they're really there's the idea of having options didn't make sense you know if you were an average american boy living in the you know in the u.s in the 1800s you married whatever girl lived in your town that happened to be close to your age um you know or you happen to marry whatever girl uh happened to you know whose parents happened to be friends with your parents you know in your little small town in your region of the country uh, i mean the idea that you had these options and you're out there looking for your soulmate and you've got this list of things you want and you're able to cross people off because they don't meet your qualifications like that that is a recent advent like most christians throughout christian history never considered that that wasn't part of their mind so if if i think this is a good rule of thumb if there's a philosophy or a thought process that you're embracing that probably has not been embraced by the by the vast majority of Christians throughout the centuries, then you probably ought to reconsider whether or not the philosophy you've embraced is logical or makes the most sense, or is it if it's the most Christ honoring thought process that you ought to embrace. Um, I, I think as as Ali asked in her email and she said, you know, is it more of a decision you make? I think that's it. I think it's more of a decision you make. I mean, think about this. In the book of Acts, the apostles, when they were picking the the next apostle to take Judas's spot, like this is going to be one of the twelve people who was going to who would lead the church and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Like this is a major position, a major office. Like it's a big deal. What they do? They drew straws. Like they left it up to an op- a moment where seemingly was chance. They basically just they prayed. They used their wisdom to narrow it down, and then they asked God to just to lead them through seemingly a, ra- a random happened uh, a, a random sequence of events or a random thing that was the, the the drawing of straws so to speak you know the casting of lots um and it would be comparable to this let's say there's a girl who wants to get married and she knows three or four guys that you know that attend her church and maybe there's four of them and she's like two of them just really doesn't like for some reason and she narrows it down to two and goes she goes okay lord what i'm gonna do 
will you guide me to which one you want me to marry? And she takes a coin and flips the coin. I mean, that's pretty much what the apostles did when they were picking the replacement for Judas. They basically prayed. They narrowed it down using their own wisdom and and what made sense to them. And then they, in essence, flipped the coin. And I think I think we can do the same when it comes to making major decisions. Now, I'm not saying there shouldn't be standards or qualifications, right? The Apostle Paul tells in 1 Corinthians 7 to marry in the Lord. I think he's given the, the idea that we ought to marry someone who is in the Lord. We ought to be seeking for someone who loves the Lord. Um, he also urges the, the people in Corinth to not be unequally yoked. Like, Don't tie yourself to someone that isn't headed in the right direction that you're headed in. right? So we ought to be looking for someone who loves the Lord. You ought to be looking for someone who challenges you to be a better Christian, someone who values the right things. Uh, I think that's important. Um, I think it's important that you ought to maybe be looking for someone that you enjoy to be with. If you're going to be married with someone, you're going to spend a lot of time with them. So hopefully you, you at least like being around them to some extent. That, that would be valuable, I guess. Um, you know, someone who has a personality and the character that is, you know, admirable and pleasurable. Um, that's good. I think, I think no doubt um, when, you, when you observe human, uh, you know, human nature, physical attractiveness should be a, a part of the consideration. I think there's some people say, oh, does, looks don't matter. Well, if you say looks don't matter, it's because, honestly, you're just ignoring human nature, and that's just seemingly silly to me. Um, and even if when you examine some of the scriptures, you know, the Song of Solomon, where, you know, Solomon's talking about finding joy in the beauty of his of his lover, um, I think there's something Christ-honoring about being married to someone that you're attracted to, to some extent, and that you take joy in that. I think it's appropriate for a husband to stare at his wife and to to be turned on by his wife, to stare at her and to and to allow that to bring pleasure to him. Like that's a good thing. Um, it's a God thing, in fact, not just a good thing. It's a God thing. Um, now we ought to not be taking pleasure in the pe- in the bodies of those we're not married to. We ought to be very cautious with our eyes, no doubt. Um, but it's appropriate to be married to someone that you find beautiful. Um, and so if you don't find someone physically attractive. Uh, you know, it's okay to maybe say no to that person. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Now, I do think there's a lot of people out there that have unrealistic expectations when it comes to personality, skills, good looks, whatever. Um, and a lot of times when it comes to the one or when it comes to having a list, a lot of people are looking to be made happy in marriage. They're looking at marriage and saying, I want to be with the perfect person or the person that has all these things because they're going to make me happy if they have those things. But marriage is not to make you happy. That's not the goal of marriage. As Tim Keller says perfectly uh, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, marriage is not to make you happy. It's to make you holy. Like The number one reason why God puts people together within the institution of covenant marriage is this, is so that that person can sharpen you, help you be better. That person can challenge you. That person can inspire you to love God more. Like You can pick whoever you want. You can, you can draw straws. You can flip a coin. Um, but, but you ought to narrow the list down at least to a group of people that were going to help you be more holy and stop looking for someone who's going to make you happy. Now, if that person happens to make you happy in moments, that's a good thing. That's great. But that's not a primary thing. It's not a core thing. It's a supplemental thing. That's icing on the cake. It's not the, the, the full meat and potatoes of the meal. So when you're when when you're looking for a mate, you should be examining the people in your life, you know, people you know, whether that's at your church or a Christian community you're part of, or 
eHarmony or whatever, whatever you know, online platform you're using. Um, look at the people you in your life. Narrow, use your wisdom. Use your common sense. Use your brain. Use your experiences. Talk to your parents, pastors, friends, people that are older than you that love God that know more than you. Use their wisdom and your wisdom to kind of narrow down the field to some extent. Eliminate the losers and bumbleheads that are gonna you know that are gonna be detrimental to you if you were to yoke yourself to them. Um, you know, get, get that list down a little bit, the group down a little bit, and then, and then just pick, literally just pick, flip a coin if you want. Um, and I, and I think we just, I guess, I guess we just, we take too much pressure on ourselves. We put too much pressure on ourselves to figure out who is the one. The apostle Paul tells men in Ephesians five to go lay down your life. He doesn't say find which woman meets the standards on your list. He doesn't what he says. Paul says, go pick one and lay down your life for her. Which one? I don't care which one. Just go find one and lay down your life. Now, are there some women out there? Uh, whenever I'm going to talk to the young guys, I always say this. Are there some, some women out there that will make it harder for you to want to lay down your life? Sure, there will. Um, and are there women out there that you could get to know that will make it a little easier for you to want to lay down your life for them? The answer is yes. So I would encourage guys to date a woman who has the characteristics about her that inspire you to want to sacrifice on her behalf, that want you, that causes you to want to lay down your life. Now listen, even if you don't want to lay down your life or even if she doesn't do things that deserves it or even if she doesn't inspire you once you're married, you still do it, okay? Even if she doesn't deserve it, even if she's not holding up her end of the bargain, men are still called to lay down their life that is not optional but i i do challenge men when they before they get married when they're dating and looking for a young woman i say listen find a woman that's going to cause you to want to lay down your life or find a woman or marry the type of woman that maybe inspires you to want to sacrifice a little more than maybe And, and there are you know i know this for myself there are types of women that i have interacted with that that cause me to maybe be a little more excited about the idea of being sacrificial. And there are types of women, if I'm honest, that 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 fall into a category that maybe don't they wouldn't inspire me to be as sacrificial uh, than maybe I typically would want to be or typically ought to be. Uh, now, if I happen to marry a woman in that category, God would still command me to sacrifice for her. But before you get married, I'd encourage you to maybe consider consider what's the type of woman that inspires me to want to be holy what's the type of woman that that causes me to want to lay down my life what's the personality and character you know of the type of woman that makes me want to be like jesus for our for her for our family and more importantly for the for the glory of god like who who is the type of person that's going to inspire inspire me to want to obey the apostle Paul's words in Ephesians five to lay down your life for your wife, and for women the same way the apostle Paul makes it very clear that you are to submit to the leadership of your husband. So I ask you this, women, what what is the type of man? Who is the type of guy that would inspire you to want to submit? Now, listen, if you marry a guy who's a bubbling idiot and a knucklehead and is kind of really inconsistent in his faith, you're still called to submit to him in a lot of ways. Like there's still an element of of Christian submission that, that you're expected to, to, to give to your husband and Christian loyalty, even if he doesn't deserve it. But wouldn't it be better if maybe you found a guy that you don't have to convince yourself every day that he's worthy of being submitted to? Like, like, don't you want to marry the kind of guy that you wake up in the morning going, 
this guy deserves my submission because he's the type of guy. He's got the character and, and, and the love of God inside of him that makes it easier for me to submit to him. Now, it's not going to be easy, right? There are going to be days where it's easy, days where it's hard. But but every woman, you should know this. Think about what is the type of guy, personality and character, the type of guy that would inspire me to want to submit a little more than maybe I typically or, or ordinarily would do? And what's the type of guy that would make it hard for me to submit to? And I think if you just examine your opposite gender friendships, you can kind of think about this. If if you examine maybe your own dating track record, if you ask people who know you well, I think you can begin to ascertain what's the type of personality and the type of character that causes me to want to be sacrificial on behalf of that person. What's the type of personality and the type of character that causes me to be inspired to want to submit to that particular person? And I think, I think if you go into dating, asking those types of questions, you're going to end up making some wise decisions. Last caveat, I say this, make sure that you have wise people involved in the process. I've already said this earlier in the episode, but I'll say it again. Pastors, parents, friends that love God, friends that are older than you that know more than you, people that are married, people that have had good marriages, people that maybe have had tough marriages, like Get a get a plurality of wisdom from people. Put a lot of stock in what your parents and pastors have to say, assuming your parents love the Lord. Now, even if they don't love the Lord, they're still going to have wisdom to offer you. But may, maybe you have to filter it a little bit if they don't love the Lord. Um, but, but look for people that are going to be able to speak into you and give you wisdom as you make a determination as to who you choose to spend the rest of your life with. The reality is there is no such thing as the one. Nothing in the scripture points to that. It's illogical to believe that. It's irrational in my opinion. You can just choose whoever you want. You can even flip a coin if you want. But listen to me. Once you're married, you're called to fulfill certain things that is not going to be easy. So as you choose, remember, you do have the freedom to choose whoever you want. But make sure you choose wisely. It's a very, very important decision. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Sure hope it was helpful and insightful. If you have a question or a topic that you want me to address in a future episode of the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to shoot me an email. The best address is heyortiz at theologyfortherestofus.com. That's H-E-Y-O-R-T-I-Z at theologyfortherestofus.com. Or you can find me on Twitter. I love the tweet and I love connecting with people there. Feel free to find me on Twitter. My handle is at Kenneth Ortiz. It's K-E-N-N-E-T-H-O-R-T-I-Z. To ensure that you never miss an episode of the podcast, make sure you subscribe to the show in your Apple podcast player or your favorite podcast player, whatever it may be. That'll guarantee that every episode gets delivered directly to your device as soon as they go live. And if you're loving the podcast or it's been a blessing to you, please do me a huge favor. Head on over to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and a great review. Those reviews are a big, big help to the show because they help us reach more people. Thanks again for listening. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this has been Theology for the Rest of Us.